Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to Follow the Money Investing with Purpose, a show where we have real conversations with the people who drive change in our community. I'm really excited to have my guests on today. And I don't know, I was, I was doing a little digging today as I always do because I'm a professional creeper as we all are. The, the internet's a wonderful place. So started in 2008, bootstrapped the company, pivoted, uh, and not just because pivot was the thing to do in the last two years, pivoted a drastic change to the business. Uh, back in June 2020, 400% plus increase and decided to take a bootstrapped company that had a culture and had a way of being and had a, had a, had a, clear core purpose for the world and do a series A and raise 16 million bucks. So with that, if you haven't figured out who I'm talking to, I'm talking with Mr. Nick Beak. How are you, Nick? Good. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Oh, uh, and uh, for anyone who hasn't had the privilege, by all means, go way back in the Collisions YYC archives. And uh, Nick and I had a great chat right before COVID. So back uh, probably would be about March 2020. So uh, great to have you on the show again. Of course, I've been watching from the sidelines and really excited to see what you guys are up to. Part of Follow the Money is to give our audience as much perspective as they can, which is a, it's a, it's, a, it's a tall order. What's going on in Alberta? Who's doing the investing? Who's getting invested in? What's the process look like? Trying to demystify it a bit while at the same time letting people kind of peer behind the curtain for something that can be pretty mysterious if you're not involved in it. So I read some great articles that you'd written today, just even talking about that journey. So let's lay the, let's lay the stage. Tell us about Helsum, what you guys are all about, and then let's get into this journey to hit your series A. All right. So I'm, I'm on the spot for the 30 second pitch. I've been pitching, you know, VCs for three months. So I hope I have it down by now. Um, but yeah, Helsum is a payments company at its heart. So we service small businesses across Canada and the US and we allow them to accept payments, you know, in person, online, on their phone. Um, and the best way to think about us is we are the friendlier, more affordable uh, square or stripe for the payments world. So we really try to take all the pain points that, you know, people were struggling with that and said, how can we make, we, we made our mission to be the world's most loved payments company. So ultimately that's what we wake up and try to do every day. I appreciate that. And Chris, this is investing with purpose. How much has that been a key factor for you guys having that? Like, cause you, let's be honest, you guys are the, the, the little engine that could, this is not a world that you like, you just cruise in and set up a, your own Playments platform built from scratch to compete against some of these players that you've just named that we all know. How much, how important has that been having a strong sense of purpose like that for culture and even for you to just keep getting up in the morning when you're, when you're driving this thing? Yeah, I think it's, it's been a bit of a crazy journey. Cause I mean, yeah, like you said, like nobody takes a, nobody builds a payment um, a payments company bootstrap. Like it's just, it's just madness. And, <laughs> but you know, nobody told us we couldn't. And even when we started this business originally, like VC wasn't really a word in Calgary. Like it was just like, you just kind of build a business and, and try to make it happen. So, I mean, I think that goes with the entrepreneurial journey of like, you're too, you're too blind to realize that it's near impossible, what you want to try. And, but that sometimes that kind of works out because if you if you knew everything you knew, you might have not actually tried it, right? So yeah, that's that's the quintessential. Um, if I knew what I, I will only I'll only go back if I know what I knew now. About it, but I'll, I would probably end up doing things differently. <laughs> but going um, back to your question, like Bootstrap, I think it, it was definitely a shift. Like we were scared how it would impact us, impact our culture, how the team would receive it going, you know, it's time for us to go get venture capital, right? Like, I mean, it's kind of big, big, bad, scary VC kind of coming into your business. And I think that a big part of what we realized along the way, I mean, we, we needed to, we, we were growing so quickly that there's so much, you, only so much you can do as a bootstrap company, but at a certain point, you know, you have to go and get deeper pockets to, to help you along the way. And that's, that's what we realized last year. And one thing that I'm really grateful about is that we, 
we went on a journey for a while as a bootstrap company. So we really got to know who we are, who we are as people, who we are as employers, as managers, you know, who I am as a CEO and what matters and what I'm looking for. And so I think it's, um, I wrote that recently, you know, the, the old matrix movie when uh, the Oracle says, like, you know, know yourself in Latin. Right. And it's kind of like, it, it really kind of, we got to figure out who we were before we took on, external investors. And I think that's really important. I can't imagine what it would be like to be like 23 years old and, you know, raising 60 million bucks. You haven't, you haven't had a chance to really kind of discover who you are and what's important, and what's not. Um, and I'm glad we, we got a chance to do that. At 23, you're right. You haven't discovered necessarily who you are and what you're about in the context of yourself as a human going through the world, let alone as a business person or let alone as a CEO or a startup or as a startup founder. <laughs> the joke, dot, dot, what could go wrong? Um, curious, <laughs> thinking back from 2008 to when you guys decided to make this move, was this 100% uh, built on cash flow? Did you, was there any bank loans? Was there any, I'm just curious for anyone listening to think about that's a big journey from there to here. Uh, was it all based on cash flow? Was it just, you know, working two jobs and it was maxing out credit cards and not to get into the real grassroots story, but just curious of over that period of time, was there any yeah. money that inflowed into the business or was it all on the back of, the, of your, of um, your sales? I mean, at the very, very beginning, there's a little bit of kind of family and friends coming in, you know, like just kind of at the very, very beginning, but no, the, the, the main growth was all just trying, you know, the way I would think about it in my head. And I mean, back then when you're much smaller, the salaries have changed, but it was like at the second I get $5,000 a month of extra cash flow, I can hire somebody new. That was always my quick, quick math. Right. <laughs> and every month I would literally just, you know, work with my bookkeeper, make sure that the, the books are updated and going like, how much extra is there? <gasps> there's, there's, there's 11 grand extra. Okay. Let's hire two people in the next two weeks. Like it was that tight. But it was always, you know, it was always, so it, it, it never came across my mind of like, you know, how much money can I take off um, the table for myself? It wasn't, that just isn't where my mind was. And that's not what I was trying to build. Mm -hmm. um, but it, yeah, it was, it was, and then, yeah, leaning on the credit cards. I mean, I remember we have, um, we had a card with CIBC at like 9% interest, a business card, which was, that was great. We, we definitely rode that thing <laughs> to try to make it work. I appreciate like, your comment though about, your mindset was never to take business off the, the take money off the table. It was always to stay motivated and, and build the business. What, what, again, I know we're going a little bit off, off here, but what was the fuel to that fire? Cause a lot of people like they build it for the notoriety. They build it for the love of it. They build it for, to get rich quick. Those types of, I don't know if there's any such thing as get rich quick. I've yet, I've yet to find it, but I'm just curious about your kind of motivation and why that was never even on your, on your radar. Have you ever kind of unpacked that of what that was about for you? I think it's two things coming together. So, you know, we really had um, this love for small businesses. I mean, I know, I know it's easy to say and people can roll their eyes and things like that, but like truly, I think that came from the fact that like we were nobody and we would go to a customer and be like, can you please give us a try? I know we're not the bank. I know we're tiny and everything. And, and you know, the first kind of in-person customer we had ever was Kinjo Sushi here in Calgary, right? <laughs> so I went to Peter Kinjo and I said like, please give me a shot, right? And um, he did, and, and he's still a customer today, but so many, you know, um, stories like that happen over time. And all of a sudden you felt very attached to these customers. You felt very loyal to these customers. And you knew that if you failed, they'd be going, going right back to TD Merchant Services or Moneris or somebody else that we didn't think we were going to treat them the way that we would. Um, so that definitely fueled us to like keep going, but then they had demands. So we had to keep up and try to keep growing the the business and ultimately so it was that and then you mix that with well why can't we do it 
you know, you're seeing what was happening with PayPal and Square and things like that. And you're like, well, we're, yeah, we're Calgary based and VC isn't a thing. And, you know, we're kind of doing our own, our own thing right here, but why can't we be that? And it just, it was just kind of sheer um, stubbornness. I think so you combine those two, those stubbornness and the love for SMBs and loyalty to it. And then that's wholesome. I love it. I love it. There was a clear villain in the story, you know, the, 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 the status quo or that payment processor that as a small business and as a small business owner, when I first, my first business doing transactions, like that bite, really, you notice it. And then if you do have any problems, you do need to follow up or that's a make or break to your business, but you were just a number and you were small on their, on their line item. You were way down at the bottom. So you kind of knew right away, no one cared about you. <laughs> so that, 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 that felt like low hanging fruit not to minimize it in any way. <laughs> Well, people in the payments, I mean, it's, it's kind of like telecos and insurance and stuff. It's like people truly hate their payments companies. Um, so even us having our mission to be the world's most loved payments company, like it, people take a second take because like you would, you would say that about like an ice cream shop to be the world's most loved ice cream shop. You're like, well, yeah, of course, like, sure, right? But in payments, it's truly like revolutionary or just just not normal. And um, But it makes, it makes small business owners kind of, take a step back and be like, wait a second, like if they're making that claim, then, then they're either full of it or this is something different. <laughs> well, no different than building a team. Uh, nothing will break or make a team like a values alignment. And you're dealing with small businesses that most of them are doing it because of the passion. They're not getting rich quick. Mm. They're working, they're grinding, they've they've maxed out the credit cards. So to have somebody who has a shared values proposition, like a shared value, like just human to human, uh, you know, not, not to be clearly underestimated. So you bootstrap it, it's 2008, fast forward, I think June 2020, you guys pivoted. And so the pivot was coming out with your own payments platform. Am I just, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm putting the story together as I'm chatting with you. Mm. Yeah, no, it's great. So yeah, we um, we were a reseller of merchants for a long time, right? So yeah. we could provide great customer service and, and you know, we had somewhat some control over the pricing and things like that. But overall, we were, we were reselling a, a legacy bank and it, we were working behind the scene for almost four years, rebuilding everything from scratch where we would deliver it um, a to Z. So you sign up, you sign, you, you know, it's our terms of service, a little click to agree. We are in charge of making sure the business is legitimate, you know, KYC, AML, risk, um, delivering the funds right to our merchants, the equipment, the software, like everything was going to be healthsome A to Z. And that was really important to us because we never, even as a reseller, we never felt that we were delivering the service that our merchants truly deserve and SMBs truly deserve. And, you know, we knew that in order to be that we had to do it from scratch and it took essentially if you think about it for it took us it took us almost four years to build it but then it took us it took me a decade to build enough of a company to be able to afford to start going down a journey of building it and finally we relaunched the entire service new branding new experience um, entirely ourselves in june of 2020 and can't not bring it up, but how much did the reality of the world we were then living in and that was settling in of COVID and people and digitization of everything, you were already in there, you were already on that journey. Was that an accelerant? Was was that a deterrent or was it just another factor in the journey? <laughs> That's a good question. So I, th I think it's it became a bit of an accelerant later. Um, but it was, it was just another factor. I think that we were well positioned because the new service that we launched right around that time was truly, this is a buzzword. It's not very sexy, but omni-channel, which are, you know, omni-commerce, right? So yeah. when, when a merchant signs up with Halsum, we don't even ask on, even, even a square will ask this on the, the, the sign-up form. We don't ask it, which is, are you in person or are you online? Are you doing invoicing or you know, whatever is the case? 
you're just with Helsum and you sign up and right when you sign up on your dashboard, then we say, okay, hey, would you like to order equipment? Or So the fact that our accounts uh, allowed for that <laughs> online e-commerce, you know, invoicing, all that stuff really easily, I think really played to our advantage. And fast forward, so like, you know, in, in, a, in a very, very short period, we grew 400%. Um, which was fantastic, but also very, very scary. So like, the answer is like, is that exciting or is that terrifying? The answer is yes. Um, and, and it was time for us to take that, that, that next step. How high is this roller coaster going? How low, how low can, yeah, how, 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 how high is the up and how's down the down? So you decide to, I'm curious, the decision to go forward, bootstrapping and obviously reading some of your content you put out there, that was such a part of who you guys were. The scrappy, we'll mm-hmm. do it, we'll make it happen. And you, you made the comment of like, how is the team going to look at it? But from the period of time from you going, okay, you know what? I think we need to really kind of rethink our plan and how do we do this while still knowing who we are and maintaining that? Let's get into the nuts and bolts. Like obviously you, you closed, you got a term sheet, I think at the end of last year, what was a little bit of the time frame? and give us a bit, give us a bit of the highlight reel, kind of the journey from like, okay, we're going to do this. Okay, shit. What is doing this even look like? Like how did that go down for you guys? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you think so, 2021 last year, um, come the fall and things are just accelerating really, really fast, which is wonderful, but it's also, you know, everybody says, oh, it's a great problem to have, but it's still very much a problem <laughs> because we're hiring. We went, you know, in a, in a kind of very short window of time, we went from 50 people to, you know, a hundred. Now we're 120 as of this recording, right? So, um, and we're a bootstrap company. So, you know, yes, we're, we're generating cash, but it's like, we are, we are spending way more because we're just keeping up with this amazing kind of demand that's been created, right? Um, so we're way ahead of our skis and we're realizing like, unless we're making some much bigger investments, like this thing's gonna get ahead of us. Like we won't be able to keep up with like all the demand, all the features, everything that people are asking for. It's and so I sat down with uh, my executive team and and, and Marge, our, our CFO, and and you know she said like Nick, I think I think it's time. Like you know, and and it really we had big discussions. And it was like we know who we are. We have a wonderful business, so we think we're going to get some some capital partner options out there, and we'll just find the one that will make value alignment a big priority as part of who we select. Um, and you know we'll we'll be careful and so that we don't lose that special magic that is wholesome. So uh, we made a decision. We started putting things together, you know, like it's like, okay, what do you do? So I reached out to entrepreneurs. We never raised before. So I talked to other entrepreneurs, like, what do you have to do? Okay, a deck, data room, you know, learning all that, how that all works, right? Start getting introductions. And um, so we started talking to people in November. We hadn't officially opened our round, quote unquote. We were just, so we weren't showing anything, no deck. Um, We had some quick stats in our head. So we do quick 15 minute conversations. Here's what we're about. Here's, you know, we're thinking about raising you know, kind of getting to know them. And when we built enough of that, I think, excitement and get to know enough people on our list, we officially opened around on December 1st. So, you know, kind of messaged everybody individually and said, okay, we're good to go. We think we're going to go do this thing. And um, we had a couple um, of of uh, of different offers pretty quickly. And we, we didn't go for the highest. We went for the one that we felt had the best reputation and the best value alignment with us, which was uh, IVP out of Toronto, uh, Information Venture Partners. And um, just great reputation, kind of salt of the earth, long-term thinking partners, you know, really, you know, the, the right value alignment. They really resonated with our with our mission and approach. And so ultimately we went with, with their offer and then, you know, took 
took some and then's the other side which everybody says a a due diligence is a colonoscopy i hope that's okay to say it is 100 percent. you're not the first one you might that's might be the yeah. most polite way it's ever been said on the show <laughs> and you know that, that that was quite a process we never and you know we were a bigger company like you know typically when people are doing their first vc or capital raise ever they're, they're much smaller they're a seed or things like that like we're mm-hmm. a big machine already so it was quite extensive and um we got everything done and um brought in an, another co-lead investor, Aqualine, out of New York. Uh, they're more known on, the, more known on their private equity side, but they have a, a new venture capital arm, and there's really good alignment there. And we wanted that U.S. exposure as well as part of our capital table. Um, just okay. important to have more diversity on that. And then finally, the other uh, one that joined us was uh, uh, Alberta Accelerate Fund. Okay. Uh, we It was really important to us. We, we reached out to them and said, hey, we really want part of the success to be Alberta based. And, you know, would you be interested in coming in for a smaller check and joining this round? And they said, yes. And that was important to us. Curious, uh, just, and I don't know how much specifics you want to get into when you look at the first, when you had uh, IVP come in, what portion of the round did they take? And like, I'm just curious of like how that broke down in terms of percentages. If you can get that detailed, like did they take 50% and then you had to find the rest. I'm just curious how that broke down the real logistics of putting that total number together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, they. So I won't get into the, like all, all the, the granular details, but um, we were originally trying to raise twelve million. We thought that was a good number. Like we're, you know, we already have an established business, and um, and uh, they came up with a, a, a you know, a majority of that. Um, and then so as we were kind of trying to do follow on and kind of close up the round. Um, and we got talking with other partners, you know, we started going, okay, maybe we should raise more. There's a lot of interest, you know, or yeah. is maybe we, we do something a little bit bigger. And so we worked with, with IVP and an Aqualine was quite interested and we, that's how the number got to 16. Um, it, we, there was just kind of oversubscribe, I guess, is the term Yep. and just kind of, it made sense. And, you know, especially with all the volatility coming up, we said, Hey, you want, you know, if there's a lot of interest, we're doing really well. Why not raise a little bit more, give us more runway, and it gives us more options for later. Okay, no, fair. I appreciate it. And that's, that's, a, that's a, again, you talked about earlier, I, there's success problems and failure problems. That's a success problem, but you still have to figure it out. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, in terms of the structure of how things came in, again, I'm getting into the weeds with you a bit. So again, if you don't want to answer, you can just, just, just wave me off. But like how dilutive, I'm just curious what vehicles you used because you guys were such an established business. It's definitely a different conversation than some of the more pre-seed and seed round startup conversation I've had where there's, you know, well, geez, what is the valuation? I don't know, finger in the wind. Like we, this, what could it be? You guys were in a very different place. That's why, you know, the Series A is a different conversation <clears throat> because you've got market fit, you've got reality, it's working, you've proven it out. How did those partnerships look? And like from you as a CEO, how much of a learning curve was even that understanding the best way to f- structure this this vehicle so you everybody is, you know, stays honest and, and true down the road? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so I think the the thing that helped me the most is talking to other CEOs and other people in this space that had done it um, because you don't know, well, you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> you don't know how to effectively structure that. So I think talking to a ton of different people, the good, the bad, the ugly, and really getting a sense of like what to expect uh, through this entire process, what's normal, what's not, um, that helped us a ton, especially when it comes to making sure you have the right terms in terms of, you know, um, board and reporting and, and equity size and just you know there's so many things that that 
you're like, is this normal or is this bad? Like, you know, yeah, yeah. you don't have a reference point. <laughs> exactly. So getting that was, was hugely helpful. Um, there's a couple of great entrepreneurs out there, uh, that spent a ton of time. So you know, Hanif from Samed was, was wonderful. And I, he spent a lot of time, spent a number of hours with them discussing, going like, Hey, how does this all work? And, uh, Jason Smith out of clue in Vancouver is another kind of great mentor that, that helped us a lot and other people along the way. And all those people actually that, that that helped me kind of figure out what is the right what is the right way to structure something you know especially from their experience having done it more than once mm-hmm. I actually approached afterwards um, as we we're kind of closing up this round and there's a little bit of extra room and I said hey would you be interested in you've helped me so much want to come in from the ground up I've got some room for you if you want to come in and everybody did and that's that's great like I think that's how you build ecosystems is you you create um, opportunities for others to participate in your success and and you know including local people as well uh, i really appreciate it. i was i was reading through your document and i definitely I, I i caught that vibe and uh, curious around um just the due diligence process and again i'm well, i'm mm. really i'm really putting you the, the point of questions that's fine <laughs> going back and I'm looking an back book. yeah looking back on it well we had such a good chat last time and i i i was looking forward to just kind of getting in and rolling up my sleeves here Things you learn through the due diligence process, like, oh, wow, do you know what, if I would have known or, and then this is like, I'm thinking about the audience of, of the, the you listening to this six or eight months ago going, okay, geez, I need to make sure that was there anything due diligence process that came up where you're like, wow, I didn't know that's just the way we structured it. Like, and I know lots of people have gone through due diligence process are like, oh my God, like we just set it up a certain way that ended up being a real detriment or was kind of the red flag that we had to deal with that we had no idea before the flashlight was shone on it from nuances of clauses and employment agreements to like all kinds of crazy stuff that that bogged down a deal yeah so we had a lot of cleanup i think that for us we we ended up um going with osler a big kind of canadian yep. law firm um your know, recommendation from a number of entrepreneurs are like they really know their stuff and um they're they're they'll they'll save their fees for after your close so that's kind of nice so that because it's a whole lot of like you know at, at some point there was five full-time lawyers working on this thing for a couple of weeks and i'm like ouch you know it, it just <laughs> it piles up right but i think because we've been a, a, a we were a company for a bootstrap company for so long there's a lot of history there um there was a lot of cleanup they had to do you know moving us from a alberta even uh, Alberta uh, incorporated company to a federal one. Um, all of our, you know, relooking at our uh, compensation agreements, stock option agreements, everything like that. There's a lot of process, and it's like we want to make sure, obviously, like employees are still very much um, getting what they, the spirit of what they agreed with, and um, make sure that we're not disproportionately impacting a certain party or anything like that. But there's just just general cleanup that we all had to go through. Um, so, so that was a big process. Uh, the, I mean, in terms of the data, we have a, we're sitting on a ton of data at Halsum, but we're, our data organization inside the company is fairly new, mm-hmm. um, in terms of really being able to, to, um, do wonderful things with that data and create better services and really kind of understand our business. Um, and their entire time went towards their fundraising process because we quickly realized that like what the due diligence process was asking out of us in terms of, you know, we're more than just product market fit, you know, we're, we're generating revenue. Right. And um, so it's really, really breaking all that down. So that took a a ton of time and um, you know, you're getting into uh, you know, IVP was a wonderful partner to very detail oriented partner, which I think is important because then you have a, you, you, there's no surprises. They know exactly who we are and and what we've built. Uh, But you know, tons of, of customer reference calls and, 
and personal professional references and like you know it, it it takes quite a bit of time and you're trying to cram this in a you know with the holidays we gave ourselves like a 60 day window mm-hmm. and we're like oh that's plenty of time and like it was a race to the finish so. you did make the comment in one of your articles about being duct taped to your office chair uh how much how hard was that for you to kind of take because you're very hands-on in the business leader or certainly that's my impression of getting to know you how hard was that for you to kind of check out of that you know and i know you mentioned you had a great team but was that a challenge because i've had a lot of other you know leaders share like wow like I didn't even know what I was signing up for. Like that was like, took a piece of my soul. Like it paid off, but wow, I had really had no idea what I was getting into going down that path. I have a ton of respect for people that have done venture capital investment raises really early in their business mm-hmm. because I don't know, I truly, I truly do have a great team, great senior leadership team, and they are able to kind of keep running the organization essentially without me because it was, it was like absentee father. Like it was really not. Um, <laughs> when's really wait, when's dad going to be home for dinner? <laughs> yeah. Like it's like, oh, well, maybe we'll see Nick in a couple of weeks. Like it's just like, it was that intense. So there's a couple of things. It's like when people do that, but they only have 15 or 20 people or five people or three people, it's like, wow, that's impressive. So I've, I've gained a lot of respect for people that can, that can do that. Uh, the other thing too is um, I can't even imagine before COVID and having to do it like where, you know, I've heard stories of people like, oh yeah, I had to take a, I had to take a short-term rental in New York or California for three months. And all I did was drive up and down the 101 on, you know, and, in the valley and just kind of meet off meet with offices all day and i'm like that that is insane at least i was doing it from my office so that like Mm. you know you can still like you know kind of sneak in for 30 minutes and going is everything okay the team's okay okay good i'm going back in kind of thing right (laughs) versus like being completely away from your business and having just you know say 15 people that that you're hoping is keeping the business like it's that sounds like madness to me so Hmm. um i would i think I think the COVID and the Zoom meetings and everything being virtual have really changed the equation. So I can't complain in that sense. From just working with these VCs and the different companies, would you do you see do you see it going back, crystal ball, crystal ball question, or is it just has this just gotten an easier way for everybody to do it? Oh, there's no way. There's no way they're going back. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, what it's done is that it, they've realized that they can they can access so many companies in, in totally new markets. Like mm-hmm. Aqualine, for example, we're their first Canadian investment, and this is a, a oh, huge that's exciting. Market. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but that, that wouldn't probably not have happened um, at its as accelerate timeline if it wasn't for virtual, right? Um, on the flip side, I do think it gives entrepreneurs a huge amount of access to a wider range of VCs right. and capital partners, right? So it goes both ways. Um, but I do think that's part of the acceleration of why you're seeing so much money in the capital markets. It's it's because, in part, because of the ease of introductions, the ease of pitching. Like, you know, I, I except for both of, both of the investment partners ultimately came to Calgary, spent a day with us and our senior leadership team. And, you know, that was an important part of the transaction. But, um, you know, prior to that, there's a dozen calls that are just like, we got really far down a deal with signatures without ever meeting anybody in person. That's, that's strange when you think, if you were to think about that like two years ago, that would have been very strange. Well, it would have, would have been quite, well, that'll never work, you know, quote unquote. <laughs> yeah. But once you get, once you do the day and they flew in, you were far down your dating relationship. Like things were getting a lot more serious by the time you decided to like, okay, let's actually hang out and let's do it to your point. You've, you'd been on 12 dates already. <laughs> exactly. So curious from the perspective, and I got this off one of your, one of your articles I read today around just 
you hadn't really put a lot of focus on it. it wasn't a, it wasn't a community like I know you said you tapped into the peer group. Call up your friends who've done it. Ask them who to talk to. If you were going to go back, would you spend more time building some of those relationships? Like you know, build the relationship before you need it kind of mindset. Was that a learning curve, or when you decided it was time, you reached out to your network and they made the connections for you? Always trying to weigh that balance of like you know, there's often the advice in the show like get out there, meet everyone now before you're even asking, so they get to know you and get comfortable with you. But that's a, that takes you away from your business too. So I'm curious, you know, your own perspective, Crystal Ball. Now looking back, what would you would you do anything different? Yeah, there's. I think um, the. I started kind of networking because I felt like I built Hellsome in a cave uh, for a very <laughs> long time. And it was only like maybe like three-ish years ago that I started kind of getting out in the Calgary community and talking to other entrepreneurs and things like that. And I'm very fortunate, lucky, you know, fluke that I that kind of had made that call then, I guess, because if I look at the key people that made the key introductions, it's actually a small hmm. – and it's just kind of random – random people or meet random kind of meetings and you're like, wow, what, what would that, what would this process would have looked like if I had never met X person? Right. Um, and it's very much a warm introduction. Um, it's very much a, a process that requires a, or at least is effective when you have kind of warm introductions to the process. Right. So, um, I think, you know, talking to my younger self, I would have said like, not just for not just for raising capital, but just in general, in terms of like meeting wonderful people and and learning lessons from other people that are going through the process as as you are. Like network, put you know network is it's a weird thing because some people see it as a dirty word. You know, on the surface of networking, <laughs> passes business cards and things like that, but that just means like meet other people, invest a time. Both people that are you know have already done it that are kind of have a bigger business than you and younger people that are looking up to you going like, Hey, can I get some advice? Invest in both. Um, there's a, um, uh, a mentor of mine, uh, Dave, uh, McJanet from HashiCorp. They just went public a little big, um, 2000 person company out of Silicon Valley. And, you know, he spends a lot of times with, with CEOs. And one of our recent calls, we were asking him like, Hey Dave, why, why do you spend all this time? Like, we really appreciate it, but like, why are you yeah. doing it? You know, you're, you're busy and you got a giant business. And he's like, and he said very straightforward, it's a small ecosystem and you have to invest into it. Next question. Like, it was just like, matter of fact, it's not even like, it's just, just do it. And that, that really kind of stuck with me where you can't, no matter how much success you have, it's just invest back into the ecosystem. So um, I would definitely have talked, told my younger self like network and meet people and share experiences. The other thing I would, the other kind of takeaway that um, if I were to do a series, a raise again Mm -hmm. is everybody says they understand payments. So we're a payments company, right? Um, It's not, it's not SaaS. It's not tech. It's payments. It's its own beast. And everybody says they understand payments, but they don't understand payments. <laughs> and I think anybody can say that about any of their, you know, like everybody says they can understand med tech, but they don't understand med tech kind of thing, right? And if I were to do it again, I probably would have recorded like a 20, 30 minute crash course video or something of like, here is uh, how okay, the yeah, industry yeah. works. Here's, the, here's like the nuts that. and bolts of how it really works. Mm-hmm. And then I would have said, what, if you're interested in investing in us, you got to watch it first. And then that way, when you get on the call, we can actually talk about what makes us special and what differentiates us and things like that. Because I felt like, especially the early calls, I was just, I'm like, you know, you only have 30 minutes to kind of pitch or whatever, right? And I'm spending the first 15 just explaining how, you know, Visa works. And uh, it, it, it just wasn't the, the most fruitful conversation sometimes at first. So I think that's something I would have, you know, redone. 
And curious, you're t- you were talking to investors like geographically from anywhere. Because I've had a lot of people in the show talk about, oh, geez, sometimes in Western Canada, our, our investors aren't familiar or comfortable with things outside the energy sector. And But you were talking to investors everywhere. So that feels like a lesson that can hold true no matter where your potential partners are. No one understands your business and your sector like you do, unless they just happen to have lived and spent time in that space. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and hmm. sometimes you, you get lucky. And, you know, one of the reasons, for example, with, with IVP that we clicked were, is that they had B2B payment experience from prior investments. So we were able to kind of, sparks were flying faster. Yeah, yeah, will, yeah. Right. And you can tell right away you're like, so oh, you're asking educated questions. It's like, I'm sure yeah. the line of it just changed the conversation almost instantly. And they start recognizing you're like, oh, for example, we built an entire fraud detection system from the ground up. And they're like, oh, that's hard. We understand that. Right. Mm. We've, we've seen it before kind of thing. Right. So that helps them kind of validate you quicker. Yes. From a, from a valuation perspective, you are, you have hard numbers, but they're also still buying the future ultimately. Right. Like what you guys exactly. have done and what you can do that track record. And Hey, we had a roadmap, we executed on it, bootstrapped it. And now here we are. Uh, curious your perspective, obviously you're Alberta. I love, I love the tie in and that there's a, there's, there's an Alberta piece to this story, which is, which is great. I also love that outside investors are coming in and seeing opportunities and seeing the value of some of the companies in our, in our, in our province thoughts on the Alberta ecosystem, big, big buzzword. You know, I feel like even from when you and I chatted to now, maybe it's also just because who I'm talking to, things feel like they're moving in a good direction. It feels like there's more non energy related startups and, and established businesses that are growing. They're getting funding. You're living and breathing it every day. Kind of what's, what's your perspective from the vibe to talent to even the capital when you started telling the we're from Alberta version of your story. Mm-hmm. It's definitely changing, and, def- and I'm not an expert here, so it's just kind of you know take it for a, a, with a grain of salt. But it definitely feels like it's changing. There's a lot move moving quicker. There's not enough, though. Um, I think that when I say there's not enough, if you're in the Toronto space and you pitch to you know like say angel networks and and incubators and things like that, say you pitch to five of them in Toronto and it doesn't go well, you can kind of regroup. You can figure out, okay, you know, why, why didn't it go well, and let's let's try something else again for the next 80 or 100 that are available in the city, right? You do that in Calgary, and you are starting to kind of run out of options pretty quickly. Hmm. So I think that that until that changes, I think there's still going to be kind of limit to um, how much how much how much great startups because the the reality with startups is that. Um, yes, there's 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 a lot of failure. It's part of the game. You're trying to take big risks and things like that. But there's a lot of wonderful companies, and sometimes they just have, you just have to find the one, right? The one investor that just clicks and believes in you, and you know that's an advice I got earlier. We're, we're we're talking about fundraising. You know, they said you have to talk to 40 or 60 or 80 people before you're going to find that one investor that just sparks starts flying. And so you need a certain critical mass of yeah. even it's smaller checks of a, of a certain pool of startup investors in order for for that to work. So it's getting it's getting a lot better, uh, but it's not where it needs to be yet. It's still early days. I and mean, you talk to the investor side, they're talking to hundreds of startups before they find something that that's worthy. Like it's an interesting balance when you put the two. So maybe this maybe this is the answer. I love to ask the magic wand question. If you were to wave the Helsome magic wand, aside from making all your customers love you, which I'm sure they already do, um, what would you change in Alberta in our ecosystem or from a startup perspective or any angle of it? It's your, it's your magic wand. You can do what you want with it. But anything you do from an Alberta perspective that would just help move us forward, move things out of the way, more of something, less of something else? I would, I mean, obviously it's a magic wand. So I would, <laughs> it is, it is. <laughs> I think that there's a huge amount of capital 
in family family offices, family wealth in Alberta, and it's it's money that's very much come from an entrepreneurial spirit, right? And if you think about the way that oil and gas investments were, you know, for if they invested in you know, invest in 10 junior oil and gas companies, right? Five might be okay, two would fail, three would just skyrocket and everybody would be happy. Mm. That's actually pretty similar ratios to venture capital investments, right? So to think that tech is somehow that different, it's not. And the city has already proven that they can make those types of investments. So going back to your question, may I wave the magic wand, I would fast track all of that those family offices to be able to join the right VC firms as help, as limited partners or as incubators or whatever other networks and mm. just put all this capital that's just sitting here and put it to use right here in Alberta, that would just transform the, that would accelerate the province 20 years. Yes, that we're 10 years late to a 20-year plan comment that I've heard flo- floating <laughs> around in terms of just getting everybody more comfortable with, because what's more risky than drilling a hole in the ground and hoping it works out, but if we're comfortable with that risk, that's the key difference, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, last question, and can't build, a, can't build a company without amazing people. You've said many times how excited you are about your team. I know you're going from, you said 120 as of today, up to 150. How's recruiting been for you? What's the talent pool like for you guys? So we we have always taken a different approach. It came from our bootstrap ways. The reality is back then we couldn't afford that senior developer, but we could have hired a fresh grad right out of state. Hmm. Um, so what had happened is that we created this culture of training, this culture of education. This you know we hire super young people, train them really quickly, and make them useful um, in a very short matter of time, and build an entire organization around it. So even to this day, while everybody else is kind of struggling with talent, not that we don't see some pains, but in general, uh, we've been able to grow our team very quickly. And we think we're going to be able to keep doing that because mm, Calgary okay. has one of the youngest cities in, in Canada, uh, one of the highest concentrations of STEM talent in, in, in Canada. Uh, the grad, you know, the schools are cranking out great talent every day. They just need companies like Helsum that give them that chance early because I think that there's still a lot of companies that are chasing the senior talent. And that's partially because of their their the capital partners that they have demands for really, really, really fast. So you don't have time to train, but it's okay. But if you're taking six months to find that person or nine months and you're competing with talent on that level, might as well just invest that time into juniors. So I think more people are gonna <laughs> no, are gonna clue into our our secret sauce, and we won't be the other the only game in town hiring you know primarily junior talent. But so far, it's worked great for us. I appreciate the time's gonna pass anyways. You might as well have them in your ecosystem and be able to train them up because <laughs> the six months exactly. is gonna go by when you're going on a North American headhunt search to try to find that dream ten year product engineer person. And yeah, individual. I appreciate it. And curious, we're, we're, show the province to you know that, that they don't want to. We want we want to show that. They don't need to go to Silicon Valley or New York or Toronto to build a wonderful career. We don't want to brain train. We want them to be able to be hired right here. Amen to that. Nick, thanks so much for coming on the show. Congratulations on your success, your hard work. Really appreciate the time and love that you're honesty and just willing to tell the story. Uh, Helsum.com, check you guys out. Your site is awesome. I love the branding. It's so warm. It just pulls me right in. It just feels, just feels lovable. Nick, we, it does. It does. We call the colors the uh, peach bellini um, <laughs> color palette, right? Like the, the orange, the pink, the purple. So. Yeah, the, when they pile that Bellini up and they go out. Anyways, not that I've ever had one, but I've seen them. Uh, Nick, <laughs> and if anybody wants to chat with you, what's the best way to get a hold of you? <laughs> uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn. I still accept all, and I will continue to do so forever. I accept all network uh, connections, and I'm always happy to chat. So, Nick, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for the awesome company that you're building and putting Calgary on the map just in, in another cool and awesome way. <laughs>